Well, welcome back, everybody, to episode six with Steve Brown um, here at the HR Revolution or Evolution, whatever way we want to look at the future role of HR. Um, this passion project was put together by my friends Bobby and myself, as well as our other buddy Christopher, filling in for Bobby from time to time. Um, really a passion project about the future role of HR the revolution of the function of HR within organizations for the evolution of business. And we do this through conversations with industry experts like Steve Brown himself and uh, passionate people about the future of work, but also the future of, of that relationship between work and the people. So without further ado, I wanted to introduce my uh, co-host, Bobby Spaziani. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. Yeah, and, and I think you, you said it perfectly, Kevin, something that you and I have been looking at for the, the greater part of the last year, year and a half is really just kind of getting a better understanding of what HR was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and it was more of sort of an administrative function or party planning function to where it's growing today and, and how we can sort of assist in, um, you know, providing uh, insight to leaders and students alike um, to kind of help build them into more of a strategic partner for, for the businesses that they serve today. Beautiful, beautiful. And without further ado, we wanted to introduce our distinguished guest, author of two books um, himself, but Steve's here more for the fun. Steve Brown, VP of uh, People um, there at La Rosa's. Uh, it's an Italian food um, industry, which was hit hard by the pandemic, but Steve's still got a smile on his face. So we know he's got a good attitude about HR and about this interview. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, Kevin and Bobby. Good to see you guys. Nice to see you as well, my friend. And uh, I have to ask, how quickly can you uh, make a pizza now that you've been with La Rosa's for quite some time? They don't let me make pizza. <laughs> <laughs> they, they know I'm the head of HR. And when I walk into a kitchen, they're like, don't you dare. I'm like, All right. So <laughs> I, I've, cut, I've cut pizza several times, but making it, they don't let me do that. Yeah, yeah. They never let me to back at the old pizza shop. And Bobby's parents own a restaurant themselves. And it's a it's a tough industry. It's a, now, did, what was your first job ever, Steve, that you worked outside of HR? What was Steve Brown's first job? First job was camp counselor at a basketball camp when I was just graduated from high school. I played basketball for several years and uh, went, you know, something simple. Uh, got to coach. Coach. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it was fun. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Steve, I got to ask, you know, you're, you're back at home with the family and they want to order pizza. Is your first thought? No, absolutely not. I see enough of this all day. Or if, if, or is it the other way? And, and if so, what's the type of pizza that you're going after with the family? Oh, that's, that's a great question. You have to understand La Rosa's is more of an institution in a pizza place. Uh, so we've been, we've been around 67 years. So when the kids grow up, they're like, so we get in La Rosa's? They don't ask, are we getting pizza? Uh, we do eat pizza some other places and we're allowed to. Uh, but, you know, my kids are grown now. And when they come home, we do the Cincinnati tour. We'll eat La Rosa's pizza, Grater's ice cream, Skyline chili. It's, it's a food place in Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, so for type of pizza, usually the traditional crust, which is thinner, uh, it's not like thinner, like New York thin, like you guys have, uh, yeah. but it's it's a thinner crust. Too much bread just kind of takes away the taste. I couldn't agree more. And I was going to ask you, are you a deep dish guy? But I can't get over how much bread there is in those deep dishes. And Rochester is kind of in this confusing spot, right? They're, they're in this, we're not New York City, Brooklyn style, but we're also not Chicago deep dish style. But they, they find themselves a little too much bread 
for me in the pizza here in Rochester. I don't know about Buffalo, Bobby, but that's been my experience. So yeah, yeah Buffalo ha has its own unique pizza here. We have the, <laughs> we have the pepper and sour pepperoni, and um, yeah, it's a great place to be whenever you think about pizza and wings, that's for sure. <laughs> so Steve, the other question besides food, we can learn a lot of people about food, but I also think you can learn a lot about people uh, from the music that they listen to. Now, some sure. may be surprised that us in HR have lives outside of the business, right? We work 70 hours a week and uh, we practically have a cot in our offices sometimes. But what types of listen, what types of music do you listen to, Steve? And what what's one fact maybe that the employees there at La Rosa's don't know about you? I'm a giant music person. I, I only turned it off because we were recording, but I have music playing all the time. Even if I'm not in my office, my music's playing. When I first started here, my staff's like, why is music playing and he's not there? I'm like, that's the way it is. Uh, so I have an old fashioned classic iPod and I have 12,000 plus songs on it. This was long before Spotify and all that stuff. Uh, so uh, classic rock is, is probably more where I'm what at. Do you but think I'm the most played song is on that iPad? Oh my gosh. Well, I know you, I don't know if we're doing this recording video or not, but over my shoulder, I'm a giant YouTube fan. I have a signed copy of the Joshua tree. Uh, so uh, YouTube probably, but it's hard to say. I mean, I have a giant mix. It, it runs the gamut. <laughs> well, let's get into, let's get into some of the fun stuff, the, uh, the, the heavier stuff about HR and, and really the, the pandemic itself from looking of the optics, right? Uh, industries were hit differently. Um, some industries were hit harder than others. You think of food, you think of La Rosa's, you think of something that was probably pretty devastating, but pizza nonetheless was kind of the unsung hero during the pandemic. They, they didn't have the same challenges. What, what challenges did you face? And I guess, how did you navigate those being a more strategic business partner there as the, the chief people officer? I think the biggest challenge we've had is it's interesting how the tide has turned. In March of 2020, we were essential. Now we're forgotten. Hmm. And our people haven't stopped working, not one day. And so, you know, people need to be fed and how they were fed was they would go to restaurants. And so we had to switch and we added curbside pickup, which is the one thing we didn't have. Uh, what we learned strategically was this. We talk about being adaptable, but we're not. Mm -hmm. As much as we could be, we had to react and it put us in an awkward position. We were very fortunate. We've done very well throughout the pandemic, but the ability to really look forward and have a strategy in the event of a crisis. Too often, Kevin, I find that HR people work from a crisis mentality. What's the next fire? What's the next thing I have to put out? Instead of saying, how am I prepared when a crisis happens? So it allowed us to switch that around. So now we're looking strategically in anticipation. We don't want another crisis to happen. Mm -hmm. But uh, the second part is this. So not only from a business perspective, did we need to adapt uh, the well-being of our team members? Mm -hmm. It's always been front of mind here at La Rosa's. This is not new. Uh, but what's funny is a lot of employers say, bring your whole self to work, except for your emotions. Yeah. You know, we want people to show up, not just be themselves. We're much more comfortable with people being themselves, but the emotional side of the business has, I think, changed forever. I don't think it'll ever go back to what it was. 
So uh, you know, the workplace is more visceral. It's much more vocal. It's much more uh, in your face. So you have to be able to roll with that and help people through things. I, I love that. And you talked about being a, the need to being adaptive, right? Um, people talk about it all the time, but putting it into action is, is sometimes hard, right? Um, but it's, it's something that you, I believe, talked about kind of in your own personal evolution as an HR function within a business. You, you, you made it more of a point in this job and you talk about it aligning yourself more with the business itself and having a conversation and relationships. Now, I did some digging on you. You have a degree in communications. How has that helped you to, to formulate those relationships that are vitally important internally with the key stakeholders, with the midline managers and the senior leadership? I think there's been a big shift that is, has started to happen, but needs to happen more. And the big start is this. Our role as HR professionals, especially at well, any level, honestly, is we have to be connectors in our organization internally. So the whole idea of seat at the table and stuff is so old and so archaic. Uh, I speak about it often where I say, you know, we have to be the business. So in order to be the business, the way you can do it is by being a connector. <laughs> if you're a good communicator and you see where communication pockets aren't happening, you pull those together. So let's say marketing and finance are at odds, but they talk in their own little bubbles. As the connector, HR, since we work with people, we can say, hey, marketing, hey, finance, let's chat and not have a big powwow. Mm-hmm. But you can be very strategic by saying, I'm going to make sure all the components are working together. I don't have to do marketing. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do finance. But if they're per- performing well by being more connected, we're great. Just recently, in, uh, right at the beginning of this year, <clears throat> some of the organizational design stuff I've been working on said mm-hmm. this. Um, I don't believe there are silos. I believe there are people who don't have relationships. Wow. So if you can pull relationships together, you will break down silos. It automatically, we keep focusing from a negative perspective. Gee, uh, operations is a silo. Well, is that because they're choosing not to be connected? They aren't connected. They don't know how to be connected. By making those very valuable relationships, um, spending time building those over time, then now you're more connected as a business. And I think that pulls you ahead. Wow. Well, yeah. And we talk about being more connected to the business and and the communication and the keys to communication itself. Um, When you're connecting yourself to a new business, right? So you're you're stepping into the role. Now you're the chief people officer. You've been in the function for about seven months now. But go go back, right? When you first started at La Rosa's, right? Your first job, I believe, in HR was more at a heavy manufacturing Right. So we think of manufacturing when we think of something that's producing a widget or a tangible asset. Now you've kind of gone to full circle and now you're at a, a point where the food is important. Yes. But the relationship with the customer and that waitress or waiter, whoever's taking the order, is so vitally important based on their experience that they have at La Rosa's. Can you talk about how you've evolved in HR as your function as you continue to change industries? And what are the, some of the first things that you do to ensure your alignment now um, for talking to those HR professionals that might be changing jobs themselves? When I first came here, it's been 15 years this year. Wow, which is just congratulations. Freaking ridiculous. Because I'm like, 
Ooh, if you'd have looked at my resume before this, she'd be like, he never holds a job. <laughs> but when I first came here, my boss, Kevin, who uh, was amazing, said this. I had to listen for the first three months. Not change anything, just listen. A, I was changing industries. I was coming out of uh, professional services. I'd been in manufacturing. Now, restaurant business, completely different. It has components, mm -hmm. but in restaurants, you have white collar and blue collar, mm -hmm. and primarily blue collar. And he says, just go listen mm -hmm. and take notes, and we'll meet the whole time. So after three months, we sat down and he said, all right, what have you seen? And what have you heard? Then we started taking it a bit at a time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, a lot of people go into new roles and like, I'm gonna change it all. Exactly. What's interesting is uh, we'll have general managers switch locations and it was a great way to learn. I learned this by listening. If a general manager goes from one location to another location, he goes, he or she goes to the next location and says, this location is awful and it's effed up and oh my gosh. And you go, they've been in business for over 30 years at this location, it's not, all broken just because you showed up. Mm -hmm. So I think for HR people going into new roles, don't go in assuming everything's wrong. Find out what it is. Mm -hmm. Take the time to assess and get to know the people, get to know the players, get to know the dynamics, see where communication is going well, see where it's broken. <clears throat> One of the things that I've learned over my career is people tend to talk at the level they work. So since I'm the chief people officer, the majority of my time is speaking with executives. That's not being rude. It's a mm -hmm. fact. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand those dynamics and how communication happens because the mid-level talks to the mid-level, the frontline talks to the frontline. Mm -hmm. And if you're an executive and talk to a frontline person, it's intimidating, mm -hmm. whether you want it to be or not, whether you're friendly or not. Mm -hmm. It's this, oh my gosh, perceived power and all that crud. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn to break those things down. So I can talk to the 16-year-old pizza cook and let them know it's safe. I can talk to the receptionist and let them know I love what they do. I'll go to the manufacturing place and say, thank you for stretching dough, because without dough, we wouldn't have a job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the thing I didn't know early on in my career is how important connections and relationships truly were. Mm -hmm. I, I think the evolution of the profession has been in the past, we focused on work, mm -hmm. work, 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 what the pandemic taught us. And it, um, it, it's really kills me that we had to have something global to shake it up <laughs> is this, um, everything's a people issue, yeah. everything. And if you don't believe it, listen to the conversations that are happening in the hallways or on zoom calls within five seconds or five, you know, words in a sentence, it'll say, you know, we need to get this done. And Bobby, you go, wait, 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 what was that? Mm -hmm. Are we focusing on what the thing is? Or are we focused on who's doing it? Mm -hmm. So organizations are learning finally that we have to be people first mm -hmm. in our actions, in our behaviors. And if we do that, we're going to remain relevant regardless of the next crisis we hit or go through. We're going through another one with staffing right now. Mm -hmm. But it's about people and the work they do not work and that's it yep and what's interesting is team members are have owned this a long time they're like if you don't take care of me i don't need you mm -hmm. now we're learning that very very upfront yeah that's wow. excellent 
Steve, I want to touch back on what you said there because you're you're absolutely right. I mean, we've we've you know the world of HR, the world of business has kind of been shaken up with this pandemic, and now we're in this staffing crisis. Something that I saw that you wrote um, fairly recently, I believe, was um, this idea of embracing the uncomfortable and kind of running into storms. Can you tell the audience kind of what what you meant by that as you were writing that? Because I I thought it was really really interesting. I really love the field. It's the only thing I've ever done is HR. Wow. <laughs> but what's interesting is the majority of the people in the industry are passive. And I mean it this way. They're very strong, empathetic, lovely humans, but they wait. I'll wait till something happens. I'm a support function. Mm-hmm. And organizationally, they position themselves that way or they allow themselves to be positioned that way. And that's not who we were ever meant to be. We need to be the people who say, hey, Kevin, I think this behavior is not good because mm-hmm. let's work on it together. Not, you know, run to discipline, run to compliance, but run to people. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure that CEO isn't failing. Mm-hmm. Well, that means you have to tell the CEO to slow down or say no. <laughs> it was great. Uh, I mentioned Kevin, my boss, earlier. Uh, and the reason I mentioned him, he unfortunately passed away oh, in 2020. Sorry. Uh, so, you know, I had 15 years with him, 14 years with him. It was great. My gosh, we were together all the time, but he was the person who says, I need somebody else who's willing to say no. Mm-hmm. Not the no, the negative side of what people say. HR says no all the time. No, it's this. Hey, uh, that's, that's not a good direction for the company. Mm-hmm. He was the chief operating officer. So he could kind of have a little more of a big hammer. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible thing. He had a big hammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he would say, we're not going this way because, and he had a good view of the business. So he said, hey, as the head of people, you need to have the same thing. Also guide people. Boy, this seems great. Let's move forward. We mm-hmm. need to encourage this more. <clears throat> but you can't do that if you're sitting passively. Mm-hmm. You can't. And I think too many HR peers are just frustrated. They want to be that person that pushes forward, but there's this innate fear, which I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I have yet to find somebody who spoke up, lose their job. And if you lost your job because you did the right thing. Is that where you want to be? <laughs> yeah. Talk on it. Uh, you, you see these horrible stories of people who allowed behavior that was so inappropriate that it could have been stopped if HR would have said, hey, you need to quit doing this to that other person because, and stand on those things. Yeah, we're the we're the only function, and I think people lose sight of this. We're the only function that works with people in every department. Mm-hmm. So use that to your advantage and run into things instead of just sitting back. I love that because a lot of times people are going to be afraid of the change itself. Yeah, be the buffalo, not the cow, right, Steve? Yeah. Absolutely. What I, I when I when I read that, I'm like, oh. I want to be the buffalo. And I I think that's powerful. You know, the buffalo, they said, runs through the storm to get through it. They run at it to get through. Instead of the cow going, oh, there's a storm, there's a storm. Yeah, and running (laughs) running away from it. And that's, you touched on it earlier when you talked about, I feel like businesses, right, and HR departments as, as a cause are constantly in this state of fighting fires. I call it a constant state of organized chaos in most Mm -hmm. cases. Right. So you're talking about listening, right? In that first pivotal 90 days, 
Now, how do they take what they're listening to, right? Sitting back, understanding how they're going to provide value or where they can interject themselves. How do you then start, I guess, getting things done, right? You know that La Rosa's is an employee centric or focused employer, but then how do you say you want a, a new initiative or you're seeing this and you want to implement, implement it because here's the business reason, but also the people reason. How are you having those conversations to take what you're seeing, learning, and then taking the action, I guess, to get it done? The next part of it is understanding how work occurs at your place. So what's the workflow? Most places, including us, have had a tradition of starting in the middle. Here's the situation. You never step back to say, strategically, where do we want to go with this? You go attack what we're doing. Staffing crisis, great example. I was talking yesterday to a group and they said, you know, what do you want to do because things are so desperate and so dire? That's unfortunate, but they are. But what happens is then we hire people just to fill holes. Mm -hmm. So I want to step back and say, as an example, why am I not still trying to add talent to my organization? That's a strategic way to do it. I can make a cook seem talented because they are instead of saying i need a cook to fill the schedule yes so it's bringing people along to say in order to help you from a people side how am i helping you in your workflow in order to get things to happen uh, this is going to sound arrogant and awful and i don't mean that uh, in my second book <laughs> <laughs> it's okay <laughs> I, 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 I had this uh, new theory, you know, I was trying to think, you know, can you come up with like the, the Einstein theory of HR? <clears throat> and what it was is most companies are results oriented. So they'll do results communication. Year over year, we're up two points. Year over year, we're down two points. Uh, where it came from is we'd have meetings and we'd say, hey, year over year, our transactions in CalZones are up two points. And I go, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> How many calzones is that? And they said, you know, and they told me, I said, and where were those calzones sold? And what day? Mm-hmm. And what shift? Mm-hmm. And they went, well, that doesn't matter. I go, no, no, you're throwing these numbers out. Come on. Yeah. And then what happens is we take those results and we make processes in order to improve those results. Mm-hmm. But we forget people. Mm-hmm. And when you look at People leaders, I'll say the majority of their day is people-oriented in some form or fashion, whether it's positive or negative. So my theory is this, people plus processes equals results. So great people doing their best as talent who are equipped. Processes should equip, not confine. We tend to make processes that confine. Oh, yes. So if we had people plus equipping them, then guess what the results will be? They could be monumentally different. So if you take that strategy and then throw it into your workflow, I know this work is gonna affect the following set of people. How can I equip them to make this happen? How do we have a plan, do, check, act on a regular basis to make sure we're on track? We tweak, we tweak, we tweak, we get results, we start over. Mm. So we're trying to implement that now after 67 years, we've been doing it very well. My gosh, we've, we've fallen into it. So it's not a critical thing, but we want to pull back a little. And what's interesting when you talk about firefighting, mm-hmm. Kevin, is this. Um, I think people don't understand you have room to breathe and check every day. Yeah. You can go, oh, 
you know, I have time today to talk to you guys in the middle of my day. Mm-hmm. You have time to talk to me. So when people say, I don't have time and things are on fire, that's not helping. Yeah. You have time to do these things. Very rarely are things that critical. It's not a safety issue or, you know, someone's in danger. We treat it that way. Mm-hmm. And we really should work is work. And it could be because HR are the people, people, they got into the role in most cases for, to help others or help people. They're the feelers. So they're feeling that emotion, but it's also like you said, the fear of stepping outside of their comfort zone and starting to handle conversations differently. And I love your piece about connecting because we, that's, that's been my case, right? I see businesses, finance sits at one side of the table, HR sits at the total opposite side of the table. And it's like, you guys don't even know what each other does, but you're all working towards the same goal. And yes, we have different objectives to get to that common goal, but you guys are almost working against each other in some cases to, to get there. So one of you mentioned HR's purpose and the definition. How, how does Steve Brown define the purpose of HR today in the 21st digital age? I think we are overdue to own the leadership that we have. It's interesting, in 08, during the financial crisis, finance was the leader. And they were, my goodness, you know, without the financial people stepping in, companies would have disappeared and some did. Mm -hmm. Now we're like, HR is leading because of, this is the chance to say lead all the time. Mm -hmm. You can lead from where you are. The big difference is this. We've fallen into the myth that leadership is tied to level within organization. If I, since I'm the chief people officer, I'm a leader. That is crud. It's a title. Yeah, I should be leading if because the majority of HR departments across the country and across the world are departments of one, departments of two. Yes. So you can call yourself what you want, but you need to lead because people matter. Uh, if you continue to be passive, you won't be around. I'm just mm-hmm. telling you. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I, I think it needs to be, and it doesn't need to be. I'm a leader, and look at me and big shiny and bullying and stuff like that. Just being human, one of the things I've really started talking about quite a bit, and I think we've lost it as a profession, is we're not human ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm as down to earth as you get. You know, mm-hmm. I'm casual, I'm weird, I have toys in my office, I have music playing all the time, but that's been allowed yeah. and fostered here. If that's not who you are, if you were more conservative or organized or stuff we, we will own you for that but too many hr people put on a work face mm-hmm. in order to carry the company brand or in order to carry the company message or the company tone yeah. instead of saying i'm going to set the tone yeah wow. yeah steve steve i think that's all that's awesome i i want to touch back on something that you said you know how how leadership isn't a level thing and i think you know some of the listeners that we have are just breaking into human resources. Maybe they're studying at the college level or the postgraduate level and they wanna get into it. Um, What advice would you give folks? Where's the white space today in HR for individuals who are just breaking in? Where's their opportunity to kind of come in, make an impact and lead? I think there's three things that they need to take a look at. The first is this, you must have a network all the time. You need to be able to have connections like we have right now. It's not a job seeker skill. It's a business skill. You must have a network of HR peers because without them, when you come across an HR situation that just you'll stumble through, I could reach out to both of you and go, hey, 
I'm dealing with this. What are you guys doing? And, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So uh, new people into the field that just co- go and try and be trailblazers, you're going to burn out within a month because people will eat your soul if you like them. <laughs> uh, so I think it's a matter of having that supportive network. You need to have it externally as well as internally, but externally because we can't talk about the majority of what we do internally. Mm-hmm. It's, it's confidential. It's uh, involves very sensitive things about people. You can't just sit there and be the town gossip. That's mm-hmm. horrifying. Um, so network first. Second thing is this, understand the culture you're going into. Uh, too many people when they interview are so focused on the job and not the culture. Mm-hmm. Cultures have changed dramatically over the last two years. So what are you walking into? Uh, I heard a story of a young man who got a job at a very large company here in Cincinnati. He has yet to meet his boss, college graduate. Everything's been remote, everything. And his boss won't turn on his camera for Zoom. So he's never physically seen his boss. Now they're asking him to come into the office and he's losing his mind. It's a phenomenal company. It's a phenomenal role. But the culture that this people leader is allowing to happen paints this horrible picture for this person. So here's somebody who's gonna offer talent and pull them ahead, but how he was treated is far more important than what he does. Mm. HR people, without understanding that they are a culture driver or a culture shepherd, whatever role there is, don't don't come in and just cross the T's and dot the I's. Anybody can do that. Come and change the culture, that's the second thing. The third thing is be yourself. And, and that's the hardest thing. I wish someone would have told that to me when I was first starting out. I thought I had to go to work because work was an obligation. It was an able, a way to provide for myself and my family. Mm. And it is. But the more I've been myself, the more successful I've been and the more change I've been able to drive in organizations. If you just go and play the game, you'll change jobs within 18 months, if not then, if not sooner. And that's so why the, trend, that? that's the yeah. trend that I see with HR. I, right. I see a lot of HR professionals that, um, and, and like you said, maybe it's the focus on the job and not the actual culture that they're coming into, right? I think if they do want to come in and, and, and rock the boat, they need to understand what's the CEO's relationship with HR, the, the, their interpretation of what the function of HR is within that business. And that's where I, I, we get excited because I use data. I think data is a great way to cut through a lot of the old emotions of or old thoughts of, of, of past and really catch businesses up to stop focusing on just the financials. I, I think a lot of organizations catch themselves constantly driving with the rear view mirror by just driving decisions off of EBITDA and, and profits and, and losses and, and, and taking out entirely the people component. How What information or what data because it sounds like you like understanding the data as you kind of continue to break down the 2% increase in Stromboli's. What data do you, do you arm leadership with to continue to intertwine that people-centered, people-focused culture to ensure the alignment of the people and the business priorities? I think we work with data that is uh, tangible to those that work with others. For instance, what are your workforce needs? So we're going to teach people workforce planning by getting them in the habit of, tell me what your needs are. Tell me what your needs are. Mm -hmm. Not what your recs are. 
Mm-hmm. What are your needs? And understand that we're going to question that. Uh, we had one location say, we need 35 people. And I said, do you know that? Wow. They said, we do, because they looked at slots on their schedules. And so we got to tr- teach them to say, hey, let's increase Bobby's hours by 10 hours. Let's increase Steve's hours by five hours. And we found out we need 15 people. Well, that's a lot different. Yeah. So it's data that's tangible, not just data that's data. The second thing is how it's framed. So like we're looking at retention far more than we are turnover. Mm-hmm. We don't look at time to hire. We don't look at cost to hire because it is what it is. And now that we're in a crisis, you can't go, well, it cost me this much. It's like, I don't care how much it costs getting new people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until this changes and what I think is happening is <clears throat> the workforce is changing. Mm-hmm. It, you know, this was predicted years ago. Mm-hmm. Now it's happening. We're freaking out. We're like, no, no, no. This was coming. It's just now hitting us and we're experiencing it. The other thing is this. When it comes into larger data like uh, healthcare costs or uh, vacation and PTO and things like that, <laughs> tie it to the business, not just list numbers. Mm. So uh, we had an argument one time in the past. It hasn't happened in a long time where uh, health claims are up this much, health claims are down this much, health claims are this much. I go, wait a minute, I'm out. We've decided benefits are benefits. So we know there's a cost. So own the data you have. I know there's going to be turnover. We know that 15 to 20% of our staff is going to turn over because it's hard to work in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So quit telling me that they're turning over. We know that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So understand the data you present, not just throw numbers against the wall. A lot of us, when we come into this, we can humanize data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're seeing it, the crossover, but it's understand the other data too. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. So I need to understand where operations is coming from and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been this horrible movement for years of knowing the business. I think that was, that's a mistake. You should be the business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a big shift. Knowing the business is just, you know, hey, I read the website. Hey, I read the P&L. Hey, I know what EBITDA mm-hmm. is. But my thing is, know the business enough so that if uh, the cost of goods in our bakery are up because flour costs more, understand that that flour costing more affects every location we have mm-hmm. because every pizza has flour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not a knowledge thing. That's how does the business work? So you mm-hmm. can have those conversations in any department. And having those discussions are really, and I love your point, Steve. Do we know that? Or do we think that? And I think that you didn't finish the think part, but knowing and thinking are two different things. And asking for proof sometimes is enough to get people to question or think differently about how they were approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love that, Steve, too, you know, humanizing the data, right? Because I think, you know, so many times we're so quick to put a scorecard together, um, you know, that just has has the black and white numbers. Um, but, But what does this mean for the business? How can we share this, you know, understanding what, you know, your, your counterparts are doing in, in different, um, you know, parts of the business as well. Steve, I got I got to switch gears a little bit. I I'm, I'm looking, or I was looking at the La Rosa site, of course. And, and, and we had mentioned kind of prior to the show, um, I grew up in a family restaurant, Italian restaurant, believe it or not, 67 years old. It's still running today, 1954. So some similarities there. Um, you know, I grew up around it. I grew up around the people, the culture, what in your mind is the most rewarding experience of being a part of a family-owned business for as long as you have? 
it's interesting. There's when you talk to people here and you say, they'll say, I love work. And it just rolls off their tongue. Why do you stay at La Rosa's? I love it here. And what's interesting is, you know, I could go to other places today and have a much bigger role and do a lot of things because I've been very fortunate, but they've opened up so many doors while I've been here. But so it's not a matter of, why oh, I could get paid more. Boy, I could do more. When you go to a place where you are cared for, it changes you completely. So I get to get off the call here and I'm celebrating a GM's 15th anniversary. Hmm. And we go and we take a big tray of cookies and we bring all the leaders and we say, thank you for all you do for us. Wow. That will change his day in the midst of, you know, the, the hectic side of running a pizzeria, as your family knows, Bobby, you know, it's, it's a great hectic feel, but to be here 15 years, Astonishing. Last night, I celebrated the 15th year of a call center person who answers phone calls for 15 years. Wow. So we just have some magic formula. It's so hard to explain tangibly what it is. Uh, but the biggest thing is, you know, you're cared for. Uh, when I see things like uh, value people, see people, hear people, don't get me wrong. We have challenges. There are times when that does not happen. There are times we are not consistent. But typically, that's part of our fabric. It's not a program or an initiative. I don't have to be reminded. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to correct some people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, uh, yesterday, my payroll manager was not feeling well. And I told her today, this morning, I was, like, I was so concerned for you. And I'm going to make sure you're okay. She knows that's part of working. And I think it differentiates us. Yeah. Well, you talk about too is the understanding of because I think retail and, and food and beverage it's it's really hard because the motivators of the employees are different than 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 climbing the corporate ladder in some cases. Some of them don't want to ever climb the corporate ladder, and it's almost like a a stopping ground. But it seems like you guys are able to captivate them and and make sure that they feel taken care of, supported, um, and even protected in in, in essence. Um, that they want to stay a part of that. Uh, and I think that's so powerful because a lot of the businesses like manufacturing, architecture, big IT are still really missing um, the point. And I think that you guys have found that the, the magic sauce and the pizza is really how you create that inclusive culture that people feel safe and cared for. Yeah. One of the things I, in one of your books, you talk about um, HR on purpose, um, the purpose of HR. You talk about HR rising and kind of that's the same idea behind this podcast, the revolution of HR for the evolution of business, right? It's upskilling or reskilling ourselves to be more valuable, be and know the business. And I, I love being the business rather than just knowing the business and really being a leader, whether it's by title or not. I think the culture conversation, we draw, draw up the mission, vision, and values, but it's, uh, it's upon ourselves. And I think you said culture shepherds, which I really love because you're there to protect it. You're protect the values, protect and uphold the culture. Because I've, I've noticed that a lot of people talk is cheap, right? They know what to say, but then they don't act. Um, what future capabilities or skills are HR professionals today going to need to learn over the next, call it two, three years in order to solidify that role as a leader within the business? To me, I think it's developing a set of behavior-driven leadership. We talk about behavioral interviewing, which is great. Tell me a time when 
you know? And then we say, but we don't allow or expect what behaviors you want to have in your organization. So let me give you a quick example. In my new role this year, I started designing things. And so our behaviors are this. Uh, we will be people first in all we do. And so if I find that you're not people first, we have something to come back against. It's not a vision or a mission. It's, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. uh, you have the room to breathe and check. There's always time to pause. And it's so powerful and so simple that our president, one of the uh, brothers who's an owner, took a post-it and it says, breathe, check. <laughs> and he puts it on there. So he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so I think instead of having these large initiative-based driven HR movements, which is what we traditionally have done. We're going to have a diversity program, Katung. We're going to have uh, an inclu inclusivity training, boom. Mm -hmm. Daily behavior is the differentiator. The second part is this. HR has to be more practiced individually versus collectively. We are so much into the blanket side of approach. We have dress code policies. You know, we have attendance policies and they have to cover anybody. And you go, well, what about uh, Steve, who's a single parent who has this? Or Bobby, who's a married person and doesn't have children? And, you know, well, that doesn't count. Well, you've taken all of humanity out, all of it. Instead of saying, I'm going to work for Bobby with Bobby, Steve for Steve, Kevin for Kevin, Sarah for Sarah, you know, whoever it is, it works but we have this fear that it won't. I know by practice that by taking care of each person for their needs at the time they have it, the whole works. When I keep focusing on the whole, the individuals are overlooked. We're in a difficult time because now the individuals have choice mm -hmm. and will continue to have choice to leave you for any reason whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So why not anchor them by knowing that they have value, they're heard, all that good stuff be from the HR chair mm -hmm. or the HR effort. Why wouldn't that be where it leads? Why we need to be the leaders. And I'll give you one last quick example. Before Kevin passed, I actually learned I was going to be the chief people officer. And he told me and uh, just floored me that he told me. And he, he has brought me in as a director and has been the mentor for my career. So when I was told I was getting promoted, he said this, do you wanna be the chief HR officer or the chief people officer? Hmm. And I said, I'd really like to be the chief people officer because I work with people. Mm -hmm. yeah. He goes, that's the answer I wanted to hear. If I had chosen the other one, which has more industry weight, yeah. industry <laughs> credibility, which is again, wrong, yeah. my opinion, and he'd been fine. But by doing this, it connected me to the organization, which is where HR needs to be. Mm -hmm. So I think, it, you know, that human side, the humanity, not the H in HR, but the humanity of what people bring to work every day needs to be elevated and dressed by behaving, being behaviorally based. That's hard to say. Mm -hmm. You can do that. All the other great technical skills have to, you have to be on top of. They, they're kind of knowns, you know. Hey, are you HR using HR tech? Why aren't you? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> yeah. are you uh, involved outside of your profession? Why aren't you? Mm -hmm. I mean, those things are 
kind of available to anybody for any reason, but behaviors aren't. Yeah. And I think if you can drive behavior, you can shape a company. Yeah. And you can drive change. But I think like you're saying, and probably what I've experienced too, if it's always your idea, Steve, right. And it's only your idea internally, people like to feel valued, right? So they're, they're gonna, if, if it's always Steve's idea and only Steve's idea, the prob- the probability of that project being completed is, is slim to none. But if it's everybody's idea and you've planted your seeds and you understand what motivates people internally and what their definitions of success are, then it's more likely that you're going to get the full buy-in and the execution in that particular project. That's so powerful. We talked about, as we're wrapping up, one of the favorite questions that Bobby and I always get to ask is the future of work, right? Where is work headed? Where are we headed as a function? Where do you see the future of work? Um, And how is HR, how can HR kind of prepare their business leaders of what's coming? You talked about what we heard was coming in 2025 is now coming in months um, because the pandemic sped everything up. So businesses are kind of behind the eight ball in most cases of what I'm finding. They're not up to speed as to what the working population is looking for and wants. Where, where is work headed? What can businesses do today to kind of better prepare themselves to what's to come? I think personalization. And I'll say it because of this. Uh, Netflix tells me what to watch. Uh, whether I want to or not. Spotify tells me what to listen to, whether I want to or not, and and pick whatever. Those are just two more popular brands right now. So if we can't personalize the workplace, the expectation of the generation who's currently living this, this is how they do life. So why wouldn't you do the same as a workplace? I think it's going to take time to figure out what that means and what the tolerance is within organizations, but to not personalize work, you're just fooling yourself because employees now have the, the uh, gumption, the courage to say, you know, I can't find it here. I'm going to go here. And they don't care like they did in the past. And what's interesting, I was talking about the Shishay too. We've got to get over this concept of loyalty. It's old fashioned, it's valued. I think you should be loyal. Please don't take this the wrong way. No. But it's this, I should value you for the time I have you. So the future of the work is this, during your life cycle, it should be an amazing experience while you're with me. And when you're not, I give you, you know, all the kudos to go forward and trailblaze the next thing. Don't get upset that you leave me. So value people while they're there treat them as talent while they're there. And if they stay for years, bonus. If they stay for months, it should be the best months they gave for you. But HR people are not used to this and neither are senior leaders outside of HR. Yeah. We have this misconception of longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Those days are over. Mm-hmm. And we, we have to get used to a constantly changing workforce mm-hmm. and a group of employees so that you can move along with them. Yeah, and meet them where they're at. Yeah, Yeah. and that's and that's what I I I, I'm so happy you brought that up because I think it's meeting the general public and 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 changing. They we have no control in business of the social economic complex, right? That's happening externally of our walls. We're only meeting it where we can. Bobby, as we're wrapping up, do you have one more question that you wanted to ask, Steve? No, no, Kevin, I'm good. I just, Steve, I, I wanted to put a plug in for you. I know you write a lot. I know you speak a lot. Where can, where can our listeners find you? 
the two place two best places are Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter at S Brown HR. There's an E on the end of Brown. Uh, but understand, if you connect with me, we converse. I don't just you know spout. I, I find you, we talk, and that kind of stuff. And I get you connected to the other great people out there. Uh, LinkedIn, I also is more of a conversational platform to me than it is a, a recruiting platform. I know that there's that side of that function. Uh, I saw a scary webinar thing coming up today that they're eliminating the number you can connect to again. Uh, LinkedIn's trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but I still think it's a great platform and people publish there a lot. Uh, I think it's a great place to find their work and share it, you know. So those would be the two best places. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for, for really bestowing your wisdom on us today, because I think it's, 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 it's almost finding unicorns. Bobby and I joke about it, but when we meet other people, we've too have found a majority of HR people are so passive, right? They have this wonderful opportunity in front of them and we're looking to properly prepare them and upskill them to be ready to kind of take that the bull by the horns and run with it. Um, so it's awesome to connect with you, Steve, and share your wisdom with our audience and I just wanted to say thank you again for uh, joining us in your, your fine Paisley uh, shirt there and all smiles today. I appreciate it. I had a ton of fun. Thanks. It was great. It was good to meet you guys. And, and I loved having the chat. Awesome. Really appreciate it, Steve. Thanks so much, Steve. You have a great day. 